Anybody here need a miracle in their life? You feel like the world is stacked up against you, that you are going against the stream and just feel overwhelmed by all these insurmountable odds in your life. You know, I think we all get that way from time to time. I was confronted by a statement at a campground at this resort in the dining room. They had this hanging there over the dining room table. And it says, when God is going to do something wonderful, he chooses a difficulty. But when God is going to do something very wonderful, he chooses an impossibility. And maybe that could be applied to your life today. Maybe your life circumstances you just feel are so dire and so problematic. You just feel like the world is out against you. And maybe you feel like you're in an impossible situation. It could certainly be written about the text that is before us today here in the Old Testament. Uh, a great favorite of many people, Second Chronicles chapter 20. A remarkable account of how God intervened in the life of these people in an amazing way. You know, we're beginning a new series today on this Pentecost Sunday, The God of Miracles. And we're going to look at some of the great miracles in the scripture and how God changed water into wine, how God changed circumstances in so many wonderful ways. And I know today that some of you feel like you need a miracle in your life. You need God to reach out and touch someone. You need God to provide healing. You need God to provide relief. You need God to mend a broken relationship or to come into a dire circumstance or a painful problem. Well, I want us to look at one of these great stories out of the Old Testament today. It's about how to face incredible odds. And we all face those times in life where it seems like everything is going against us. And if you've ever felt like the world is ganging up against you, then this is a great message for you. The background of this story, of course, is these three enemies that we find that are really assembling and marshalling resources against the nation of Israel. And there in the very first verse, it tells us that the, it's the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mayunites, and they're coming to make war on uh, King Jehoshaphat. And this is like a triple threat, three to one odds. And I don't know if you've ever had a day like that, where just like everything is going wrong in your life. I had one of those days here not long ago. In fact, I seem to have these with such frequency in my life. You just know that, you know, it's kind of a bad day. The dog gets in the trash and, you know, the toilet backs up and the beans boil over. And then you're there in the house and somebody comes and knocks at the door and you're there and your curlers are in your hair. You're standing in your boxer shorts. I mean, it's just like one of those days where anything can go wrong. There's a flat tire and your bills just went up again. We all know how it seems when the odds are stacked up against us and the mountain seems so high and it just seems so insurmountable. And if you've ever felt like that, you really need to take a second look at this scripture today here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We find these three bullies bullying here the nation of Israel. And out of this story, there's a lot of principles that you can take and really apply to your life to give you strength, to give you insight, to give you help. You can apply the scripture to you and your situation. If you notice here, this chapter begins by saying, after this, 
And you're like, well, after what? What does that mean? If you go back and you read the previous chapter, you find out that this nation had just had an enormous spiritual revival. They were on a high. And the fact of life is that anytime you're standing on the mountain, guess what's coming next? You'll be sliding down the hill into the valley. It seems to happen and just be part of life. The vicissitudes, the ups and the downs. But anytime you're on this spiritual high, you know the spiritual lows are coming. And we always need to be aware that wherever God has at work in life, Old devil is at work as well, right? Whenever God is at work, we know evil is working overtime. And it says, after all of these great things happen, the enemy launched an attack. After all these terrific things occurred, that's when these attacks came. And so if you start having problems in life, if all the irritations start rearing their ugly head or things just don't seem to be working out and the problems suddenly surface, you need to be prepared because we are facing spiritual warfare. Uh, what is a natural reaction when things gang up on you? I don't know about you, but oftentimes you become a little panicked or a little fearful when all the uncertainty is there, and that's what we find in this text, some came and told King Jehoshaphat, hey king, a vast army is coming from Edom. And then it says Jehoshaphat feared. He became alarmed. And that's a typical reaction that we all have when we face these problems and tsunamis of issues in our life. When things fall apart, when people gang up against you, when everything seems to be conspiring against you, your natural reaction is fear, is this alarm. The alarm bells begin going off. And that kind of first reaction is natural in a typical human response. But what do you do? How do you handle it? How do you manage that when it comes? That's the key and the answers here that start flowing to our mind as we study this text. Do you get discouraged? Do you throw in the towel? Or do you become motivated by the odds and you stand firm in your faith? The people here in this situation, they took positive steps when they heard these three enemies were coming against them. And we can take these same kind of positive steps in our life. After all, let me remind you that we have three enemies alive and well in this life that we live. The first enemy that we all have is the world. Has anybody noticed this world's gone crazy? Has anybody noticed it seems to be going sideways, completely off the rails or down the tubes? There's a lot of crazy in this world. A lot of things that just... It's a non sequitur, it just doesn't make sense. There is brokenness, and we've all got this problem. This is an enemy, the brokenness of this world. I tell you, the second enemy we have is our own humanness. How many times I say, Pastor Tim, why in the world did I do that? I feel so dumb. We do crazy things, we are human, and we are limited, and we have in our infirmities we need rest, and we don't have the stamina sometimes to keep going. There's temptation. There's all kinds of things in our humanness. And so we're battling ourselves sometimes. And I tell you, the third enemy that we have is evil. Friends, you can't even go to the local Walmart or Kroger's without somebody taking a pot shot at you or the, the evil going on out there in the world. We've all got these three enemies, and it feels like a lot of times they're all ganging up against us. And it says, 
what happened here in this text is amazing the way these people responded and i'm studying this passage and i want to share some of these principles i think you can take and apply to your own circumstance today the first thing that we notice here about this text in terms of what we need to do and it really informs us that we need to fine tune into god now i know this sounds so cliche and i know oftentimes as kind of a parting word we say well let's pray but these people really prayed and these people really got on their knees and these people when these problems developed and they got alarmed. It says here in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat, he resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast to all of Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And notice it said, inquire. He inquired of the Lord. They tuned into God. And so I ask, are you really tuned into God? When you face a major problem, it's time to break the glass and start praying. Notice one of the things they did here is they proclaimed this fast, and that's voluntarily not eating. I hear a lot these days from the medical community how this is actually good for us to even just take a few hours and we kind of fast. Uh, You know, if a king wanted to take possession of the enemy city, what would they do? They would cut off the water supply. They would cut off the food supply. We've heard some of this going on across the world in Ukraine. It's a tactic. Dying of hunger, people begin to submit because you need food, you need water. One scholar made this point. He said, it's the same with passions. If you fast your enemies of the soul, they grow weak. When you don't eat, after all, think about it after your Thanksgiving meal. You just want to go and find the lazy boy chair and go to sleep and rest. All of that energy is being consumed in digesting the food. But you know what? If you're not digesting the food, if you're fasting, there's more energy there for your brain and for clarity. Fasting is a good way to get tuned into God. The starting point when facing incredible odds is to tune into God, to pray about your problem. Go inquire of the Lord. And that's what happens here in verses 5 to 12. It says, King Jehoshaphat went and he prayed aloud. And you know, prayer ought to be the first choice. Now, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I have to tell you that I've heard this more than one time in a lot of places here uh, in southern Ohio, different locations, different situations, and people have said, somebody inevitably, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. And somebody else normally pipes up at the end of the table and said, has it come to that? As if it's just, we have to wait to pray when it's a hopeless circumstance. That's when you pray. But when the circumstances come, I mean, you need to break the glass and get on your hands and knees and start praying. Get tuned into God. You learn to pray the way King Jehoshaphat did. He prayed about three things, if you notice this, down here in verses 6, 7, down in 12. And they're the same three things that we need to start going to God for. And he says, are you not, did you not, and will you not? He's talking to God here, and he asks, are you not the God who's in heaven? Are you not the one you rule over the kingdoms of the nations? Are you not the one who has power and might in your right hand? And you remind yourself who God is. My goal in this series is to just remind you of how vast our God is. 
How large, how big the resources that are at your disposal as a child of God. Our God who is so omnipotent and omniscient, the power of God. A second step here, you notice out of this text, is that there's this focus on God and not your problems. Not only do you finally tune into God, but you focus on God and not your problems. It says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Problems sometimes is that we focus on our situations and not upon God. We see that, for example, when Peter gets out of the boat and all of a sudden he's out of the boat and he starts looking at all the wind and the waves, the hurricane force winds that are there, and he takes his eyes off Jesus and puts them on the problem. Here we find these people putting their eyes on God. They focus on God. Are we laying on our mattress? Somebody said circumstances are like mattresses. You get on top and you rest easy, but boy, if you get under the mattress... If you get trapped somewhere between the mattress and the box spring, look out, you're going to suffocate. What are you doing under the mattress today? What are you doing? How are you handling your circumstances? God meant for you to be an overcomer. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Sometimes we read the newspaper, and we turn on the TV, and instead of focusing on the good, we see the bad. And we focus on the bad and the problems. And oftentimes people are getting their cues from the newspaper and the news browser rather than from the Bible and from God. But let's look at what the Bible says and look at how we should depend upon it and how we should focus upon the good. You know, if you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you look at yourself, you're going to be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. And that's the message that you clearly see in this text, these people relying on God. Keep your eyes focused on God. And when you don't know what's going to happen, not on your problems, but on God. One of my favorite verses is found here in all the Old Testament, down in verse 15. He says, listen, king, and all who live in Judah, all who reside in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Because of this vast army that comes upon you, the battle is not yours, but God's. God says, it's my battle. You know, the moment you become a believer... Your problems then are God's problems. You're just giving your problems, your life, your heart, your all to God. And God says, I'll give you my all. And that includes your problems. When you assume God's role, you become like this atlas creature that's just weighed down by all the problems and the horror and the anguish of this world. But if you release it to God and focus upon God, it's so transformative. A third thing as a principle we see here is not to fine-tune yourself and just focus on your problems, but notice the people here are freely relaxed in their faith. Verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. How many like that kind of battle? If you're conflict avoidant, this is for you. You don't have to fight. That's the kind of battle we like. Just take your positions and it says stand firm and then See the deliverance of God. He says, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. Just stand stand firm and watch God and relax in trust. Now, this here is we're finding the middle of the Old Testament. And what a verse. Verse 17, you don't have to fight the battle. 
This is incredible. And it really doesn't matter that much, but what counts here is the truth of this verse. It's not your battle. You don't have to wage the war. It's God's battle, and allow God to rule in your life. Allow God to solve the problem. You know, one of the most relaxing days of my life was the night I happened onto this a few years ago, and I resigned as the general manager of the universe. And I realized the problem was going to be there the next day. I could go on vacation, and it was all going to be waiting on me when I got back, and there were still going to be problems. It didn't matter, and I realized that I couldn't do it all and just relax and watch God do it. Two times in this passage it says don't be alarmed. Two times here it says don't get discouraged because God says your battle is my battle. God never loses a battle. It's a 100% success rate. He's batting a thousand. Take it to the bank. If you let God fight the battle, victory is assured. You don't need to be discouraged because the battle is not yours at the end of the day. You know, I've got... Uh, a uh, great uncle is now deceased, and uh, he was in World War II, and I followed some of his. I've got his journals, and he's well-decorated and was in the Battle of Anzio and the combat engineers, and I've always appreciated all of those have sacrificed and given so much, and our, our uh, warriors and others that have fought for our freedom. And, you know, as we think back about World War II, when the Allies landed on Normandy on D-Day, between D-Day and V-E Day, when they marched into Berlin, there were a number of skirmishes, and they all didn't go well. Some of them, the Battle of the Bulge and some of those skirmishes, you know, skirmishes that they had was, was pretty significant, got beat badly. But in the back of our mind at the time, everybody believed, nobody doubted that ultimately the Allies were going to win this thing. And it was simply a matter of time. They might lose some battles here and there. There might be a skirmish here and there that uh, didn't go our way. But it was just a matter of time. And that's the way it is in the battles we face as Christ followers. We know there's going to be battles here and there. But we know at the end of the day that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. And a fourth principle here that we see is that we need to give thanks to God even in advance. You focus firmly on God, and, and you pray, and you relax in your faith. But the fourth thing is you thank God in advance. Now, this is an awesome story, of course. And on the mountain, you just get the picture here. There's these three big forces. They're ready to go to war. They've got their tanks. They've got their chariots, whatever it is. And it's an awesome force. Uh, and they can taste the blood. They're ready to go to battle and to knock out the Israelites. But on the other side is this little puny army, and they're going down into the valley, and it says in verse 21, here's their plan, King Jehoshaphat. After consulting people, Jehoshaphat appointed the men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. What a plan is that? I don't see the B-1 bombers or the Navy SEALs or anything like that, but they've got the Marine Band out in front of this thing. Jehoshaphat comes to his troops and he says, I know we're outnumbered three to one, but here's the battle plan. I want the choir out in front of the army. Bring your tambourine, get your flute and lyre. We're going to sing and give thanks to God. And they went into the valley. And what is going on here? This is a symbol of outright trust. 
Praise is thanking God in advance. It's simply verbalizing your faith. It was a statement of trust. We're going to put the choir out in front. Now, I got to tell you, this is not military uh, normal procedures, is it? I can't imagine this going on with General Petraeus and some of the other generals we've had in our day putting out the Marine Band out there. You wouldn't see that. But here in this story, it's giving thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And this is a clear statement of resting your faith in God. There's power in praise. It's kind of like the little boy who asked by his father, son, I'd like for you to say grace for our evening meal while the rest of the family waited. The little guy was eyeing everything that was laid on the table by mom, all the spinach, all the broccoli, all the kale, you know. And after looking over, he bowed his head and he prayed, Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I thank you for it anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of things in this world we don't like the looks of, but let us give our thanks to the Lord. I hope today, if you're facing incredible odds in life, that you will fine-tune yourself to God, that you will focus on God, that you'll freely relax in your faith, and give God thanks. Give God thanks.